We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2022 NFL Injury Report coming into the season. Whose injuries do you need to be concerned about? Which ones are eh? Yeah, that guy will get over that. Don't worry about that so much. Breaking it down with me on the show from the Fantasy Doctors is going to be Dr. Jesse Morse. Before we get to the good doctor, remember to smash the like button for the episode. Sub to Mayo Media Network in the comment section. Give me the player that you're most terrified about this season because of injuries. And if you want to check out the entire PME draft guide to date, Hit the description, all free shows, all down there, all the links to both the podcast and videos. You can check it all out. We're almost through the entire ranking season. We have win totals coming out soon. We have our best quarterback rankings with Custon Jeff. A lot of great football com- or content coming out now, especially with the golf season by and large finished at this point. We can get off, you know, all the majors are finished. We can hammer down to get you ready for football season right now. So sub to Mayo Media Network. You can follow me at the PME on Twitter as well. I mentioned joining me on the line, Dr. Jesse Morse, who has a brand new injury draft guide, which has just been released. If you go to the Fantasy Doctor, so TF. TFDinjuryDraftGuide.com. You can find that in the description so you don't have to remember that. Just go click on it. That is out. I am through 60% of it. There's like, normally I hammer down. There are two draft guides that I read every year. I read Jeff Ratcliffe's over at FTNs. I read Warren Sharp's betting preview when that comes out. This is on the list now. This taught me so much about injuries, gave me that base that I needed to know before talking about any of the actual players. I mean, you might put yourself out of a job. Everyone's going to be an expert after this. <laughs> it, it, it's variable. Unfortunately, it changes. Thank you for having me on. It, it's um, it's constantly evolving. I tried to give you the biggest range of, of information so that you're less dependent on 
us providers and more more educated uh, opinions kind of based on how I see it or how we see it. Um, and and it, it's so complicated. You got to remember that there's not one or two guys injured. Every player is injured every week. It's just, is the injury enough for them to prevent, potentially prevent keeping them off the field? Or is it something that you might not even hear about? Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that is frustrating is we always assume everybody's hundred percent at all times. And that's just, not the case. Uh, it's not, it would it, be great. Most of the guys are probably healthiest right about now. And then everything starts to change. This is a grind every single week from basically August 1st to January 1st. That's insane. You and the team do great work reacting to all of this at the fantasy doctors, YouTube page as well. If people are not subscribed to that. I highly recommend that you go subscribe to that right now on YouTube. Additionally, if you're looking for free projections for this fantasy football season, you can go to run the utilize that completely free, customize them any way you want. Tinker with the ratios, print out your own projections, completely free run the Or if you want the betting and DFS optimizer, all the tools, all those projections in season, if you go to runthesims.com slash mayo, you will get 10% off, and it's already the early bird package. So you get that entire package for under 200 bucks this year. Find that down in the description or just go to runthesims.com slash mayo. What is the best predictor of injury for the upcoming season? Is it guys that have previously been injured? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's um, there's a lot of gray area in medicine, especially orthopedics. Uh, very rarely is something black or white. And remember, we probably know 20, 30% of the information. Um, and I study this obviously intently. You can see the draft guide. If you, if you looked at it, it's 400 plus pages, uh, every player, oh, there's over 200 players in it. And each player, I went back as far back to their injury history as I could find. If it, I talked about Devonte Adams injury in, in pop Warner, I mean, that's how crazy we try to get. But when you start to see all of the injury histories, you can, and, and you understand the, the injury mechanisms like I do, then you get an idea. Okay. This led to a compensation pattern to this, which has then led to that. I'll give you a perfect example. Cooper cup, uh, a couple of years ago had a, a MCL sprain in his knee in we'll say week eight. I don't remember exactly what date it was. Uh, he, it should have been about three to four week injury. He came back in two ish weeks or so. MCLs are, are protectors of ACL. So if your MCL is not strong enough, your MCL will give way and your ACL will tear. Guess what he tore three to four weeks later? His ACL. If he didn't come back before that the MCL was properly healed, he probably would have never tore his ACL. That was a preventable injury. Um, it's similar to OBJ. So a lot of these guys, you can see the writing on the wall. The question is, when is it going to give? The Achilles is a little bit different. Uh, so your guys like Cam Akers and, and James Robinson, that's a little bit trickier to, to, to identify, but the greatest predictor of future injury is past injury. Just trying to wrap my mind around some of the guys that I like in fantasy football mm. this season. And some of them are injury guys. And obviously some of the deteriorating ADPs that we've seen so far are a direct result of that. And sometimes in your mind, when you're taking an injured player, and we'll get to all the individual players here in a second. So like Christian McCaffrey, you're not really getting a discount on him, but someone like Cam Akers, mm -mm. theoretically you are getting a discount on him. Do you have a threshold of where you're willing to say, Hey, this guy probably will get re-injured. There's a high probability of that, but because of the price point that that player is now going at, 
I'm still okay with it. If he gets hurt, he gets hurt. You're never going to draft an entire team of guys who don't get hurt. But at this value, based on what that upside is, even with the injuries baked in, that all of a sudden I can take that plunge and say, you know what? It might come back to bite me, but the upside is there at this value. Do you do that or you just stay away from all of the red flag players? So in the past, I used to try to stay away from all of them, but it's too hard because everybody has injuries. It's just, you have to pick your poison. And what I realized is that your ultimate goal is to identify values and take risk where you see it. So the ultimate player this year that has the highest upside, but also one of the highest risks is Christian McCaffrey. I don't think that's much of a question. He's played 10 games out of the past 33 after never missing a game in the NFL and missing one game at Stanford due to, a, a, I believe it was a calf or a groin. Uh, but like, you're going to have guys that are going to get injured. The question is, is it two to three games like Dalvin Cook misses every year, or is it eight to 10, which kind of derails your season? If it's at the beginning of the season, it hurts a lot more than if it's at the end. Uh, you know, uh, it's tricky. There's, there's no um, easy answers, and you just kind of have to figure out uh, which guys I want to completely avoid because the data says you know, be buyer beware. And the other one's like, yeah, I'll buy that dip because – I think he's being suppressed more than more than uh, the, you know maybe the data supports. So what do you take make of Christian McCaffrey this year? It's been two consecutive seasons. However, when he has played per game, he's still the best guy in fantasy football by a pretty large margin. Yeah. If you no had, question. If you had the number one pick, would you take Christian McCaffrey? Um. No. I. I, I just. I. So if you told like I was willing to give him a bogey on, uh, you know. 2020 all right maybe he can bounce back he's never had injuries before this season let's you know let's let, let's get him a give him a pass and and and, and maybe we'll we'll buy the dip uh, in 2021 there really wasn't one but hypothetically and that's what i that's what i wrote in the guide because i didn't have any other reason why those two injuries that he had were enough to say hey buy the dip you know not buy the dip but then he repeated it completely different injuries and, and, and we know once you're on the uh, injury, um, you know, once you put on IR once, it, twice it's over. You don't, you, there is no third option. So I can't, for his current price, I can't justify it. I mean, if you're trying to win your league and you're okay with your first round flopping, then McCaffrey is a good choice for you. There's no one with higher upside. We know that. There's really no one with that, with that monster upside. But I feel like he's already peaked and now he's on his descent and we're hoping that he can turn back time and, and go back two, three years and go back to the monster thousand, thousand season that we saw. I just don't think that's realistic. I, I don't. Potentially so. What is the risk? Like, I mean, one of the great things that I love about this guide is that you actually have a risk factor out of 10 of mm -hmm. how risky these guys are going to be. What is his risk factor for re-injury? Because I always think back to certain players that you can kind of point to and be like, oh yeah, that seemed very logical. But then you have weird outliers. Someone like Mark Pryor, for example, in baseball, who seemingly got hurt every year in completely mm -hmm. unconnected ways. Like one injury didn't cause the other injury. He got hit in the head with a ball and then, you know, he hurt his arm and then he hurt his leg. And maybe they did all somehow connect, but it seemed like they were completely independent injuries. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey's don't seem that way. They do seem to be relatively connected. How, like, what would be his risk score this year? So he's, he's you know, I have him as one of the riskiest um, uh, running backs up there. I, I, I usually do a, score, a scale of zero to 10. No one gets a zero. Everyone has risk. I think the lowest risk out of anybody, I think, is Tom Brady, if I remember correctly, um, and which is funny, but 
Um, and then some of the higher Swiss guys like Chris Carson is going to be up there. Um, uh, one of the, the rookie tight ends, cause he's already, uh, you know, finished his career with, with, with concussions and he came back McCaffrey's, uh, I think there's only two or three guys higher than him for risk and how I evaluate risk is basically, uh, what is your, you know, expected PPR, um, or, you know, point outcome and how many games are you going to play? If you're in the zero to four range, you are considered low risk you're at a value or even a steal for your ADP. And I expect you to play 13, 14, up to 17 games. That middle round, that the middle, like five, six, six and a half kind of region, then you're kind of, you got to be careful. And then the seven plus guys, I don't know if they're going to play even 10 games. And that's kind of, you know, he's tinkering on that. I mean, if we look back to 2019, he had a back injury that didn't cost him any time. And then two, three weeks later, he had a mild sprain in his knee, probably a meniscal tear, but it didn't hold him off the field. Finally, 2020, it started to keep him off the field. Uh, September 20th, he had a right high ankle sprain, likely grade two, which usually takes four to six weeks uh, to get back in the field, but it lingers. But he didn't have surgery. He missed six weeks. Then October, uh, sorry, November 8th, he comes back, I think, a week or two after he had just returned. He landed really hard on his right shoulder and, and either dislocated it or he had a really bad AC sprain and they put him on IR again. He missed four more games. So not directly connected, but the, the you're starting to see that he's not able to heal as quickly as maybe he was when he was 21, 22, 23. Uh, he's still technically in his prime if you look at the data, but He's got a lot of touches, a lot of touches. Uh, you know, when you look at all of the touches, when they start to combine uh, and add up, there's only a, there's only like five or six guys that have more touches than him. Uh, you know, Ingram, Zeke, who's a freak. Uh, King Henry, Eckler actually has more than him. Um, and then Melvin Gordon. I think there may be one more guy. But that, that there's not many guys who have over, almost 2,000 touches since the start of college. Um and, and, and they're continuing to play at a high level. Uh, David Johnson is the only other guy who's kind of fallen off for the past couple of years. Um, so there's a correlation with uh, just constant injuries. And, and, and eventually the injuries start to uh, become more enough where they just, they don't heal in a week or two. And the team's like, all right, well, I need that spot. Do I, I arm? Like, what do I do? I know McCaffrey, not personally, but I know that he loves to do regenerative medicine, which is what I do. But, there's a point where it only there's only so much you can do in season uh, because you, some of the stuff just doesn't work as quickly as we would like it to. Um, and, and some of the injuries he's had are, are kind of fluky injuries, but when they start to stack on each other, that's when it becomes a risk for me. So looking at the lowest rated one in your risk factor, I was surprised to see Derrick Henry, the lowest rated of all running backs who's coming off an injury that cost him the second half of his season, he did return for the playoff game, didn't quite look like Derrick Henry. And I, I want to talk yeah. about two sides of the coin with this, because one of them is very high, high risk, one of them is very low risk. Why is Derrick Henry low risk? So if you look at, I break down injuries into two, almost all the running back injuries are going to be lower extremity, if it makes sense. But obviously you get your uh, you know shoulders, but most of the time it's it's lower extremity. So your, your knees, your calves, your hamstrings, um, your feet, ankle, foot. Um, so King Henry has had plenty of volume. I mean, his volume is insane. If you look at the volume of the first eight games, it was ridiculous. Um, but his injury was not soft tissue. It was not an ACL. It was not an Achilles. It was not a high ankle. It was actually a fracture. And it was really only a fracture because the bone 
doesn't have a good supply blood supply at that region. That's called the Jones fracture, which is actually the base of the fifth, kind of almost towards the heel. And there's a there's about a one inch ish area that doesn't have uh, uh, blood uh, blood vessels going through it. So if you happen to fracture it there, uh, usually you roll your ankle, the, the bone tucks up underneath, it fractures. It doesn't heal at all. It, it doesn't heal. You need to put a screw or a plate, which is what Dr. Kane put in his. But that takes nine to 10 weeks to come back from. But the re-injury rate, as long as you don't come back too early, and that's what happened to Greg Olson years ago, um, is very, very low. Um, so it's not like, yes, it's an ACL or yes, it's a calf or hamstring or a recurrent uh, you know, ankle sprain uh, or high ankle it wasn't any soft tissue where you're going to have a lot of scar tissue. This was a fracture. He had it addressed surgically and you can see him on Instagram running up hills at full speed, which is kind of scary. Um, but you know, so in general, his cliff is coming. I just don't think it's this year. And as a result, I, I don't really see a major concern. Could he have another fluke injury? Of course, you know, but for, for what he had and his injury history and his ability to come back in such a short period of time and accumulate the volume that he has, add in the type of body he has. Um, I just, I, I, I see him as low risk. So the other side of that coin is Cam Akers, someone who blew out his Achilles before the season and somehow came back for the Rams Super Bowl run, did not look anything like Cam Akers is, at least in our mind, supposed to yeah. look like. But it's not like they didn't try to use him. He got back out there. He, I guess he tried his best. Hitting his unders in the Super Bowl was like the only profitable bet I made all season. So that was nice. But... <laughs> Obviously, he wasn't going to be 100% returning that quickly from an Achilles injury. And his ADP reflects that so far this year. He's now like a beginning of the fourth round, mid-fourth round type player. And I'm trying to think back to where he was at the beginning of last year, where he was like a first-round running back. Now, a lot of this is, hey, he tore his Achilles. Guys don't come back from Achilles unless they're like Adrian Peterson, essentially, and look exactly the same. But... I was encouraged, and maybe I'm completely way off base, that's why I wanted to talk to you on this. The fact that he was just able to come back at all, even if he looked like a shell of himself and not get re-injured in January and February, now we're giving him, what, another seven months off before the season? Shouldn't he be back to where he's supposed to be? Ideally, you'd think so. And and the difference between an, an ACL and Achilles um, is that ACLs usually do really well uh, but they take about a year kind of mentally to kind of cement in where the guys trust their knee again. There's your, your, your Saquon's, your, your, um, your Adrian Peterson's, all of the, the main guys that came back from an ACL as a running back. Now, this uh, positional speaking, but when you're talking about an Achilles, and I went back to 2010 or 11, I don't remember exactly the date, and I documented every single NFL running back that had an Achilles, they're all awful. Every single data is awful. They were out of the year league either after that injury or they made it like one season and then they were they were useless again. And and even though Gakers had a relatively modified new technique, what we call a double bridge or a internal brace, um, I, I've talked to Dr. Parekh about it, who's my partner and, and he's a foot and ankle surgeon at Duke. He's like, we've had that for years. It doesn't seem to show any different. He's like, and I can't really explain why he came back so quickly. But notoriously running backs and, and linebackers for that matter, because of their constant need for burst of speed, the energy doesn't seem to translate as quickly with that internal brace or with the, with the Achilles in general. And they just, they lose that burst one or two times. Maybe they do it, but if they're trying to run 20, 30 times a game, 
week in and week out, that Achilles just does not seem to be able to handle the load. Uh, Marlon Mack still hasn't really been able to do anything. The only guy that has come back and really been decent is Dante Foreman. And, and you remember because when King Henry went down, Foreman came over, but his was four years later and he still only averaged 10.2 uh, points per game. I think PPR. So it's not like he like went bananas. Um, the talent is there for acres. I don't think that's much of a question. I'm more uh, in the stance. I want, I'm expecting him to be the rule, which is not pretty for Achilles and running backs, as opposed to the exception. I will be happy if he comes back and smashes and everyone does great in the fourth round ADP, but the data doesn't seem to support that. We look, Sony Michelle actually looked pretty good behind that same offensive line in, uh, in the suit, you know, in the playoffs up into the Super Bowl, but they chose to keep going back to acres. And as a result, if you look at it, I think his average was like 2.8 up to maybe three, three, a little over three yards per carry, which is pretty <laughs> awful. So it was just the fact they were, they seemed to be comfortable giving him carries in these games, like in the yeah. highest leverage carries in the highest leverage games. It just shocked mm. me that they were willing to have that yeah. confidence in him. I mean, and I talked to, a, I, had, I had a couple Rams patients since the Super Bowl. And, and I, 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 it's funny because I'll ask them basically the same question. I was like, well, one, what was up with OBJ and his knee? And he's like, yeah, that was turf. And two, what, what, why, uh, why did they keep feeding uh, acres? Did he look like himself? Like from your perspective, because you've seen him in practice and whatnot. They're like, no, he didn't have his same burst. And people who watched the game and follow him kind of agreed with that. Um, and they were like, I, I think they rushed him back. I had two different players tell me that, yes. I think they rushed him back. I don't know if it was a money thing, if it was a, hey, look what we can do thing, but it worked out because they won the Super Bowl, but it wasn't because Akers, you know, it, it wasn't, it had really nothing to do with him. I think they could have been even better if they used Sony, but it worked out. So it's a moot point. Um, I, again, I'm hoping for the best, but I just, I'm surprised they pushed him that hard and I'm hoping he didn't have any setbacks and I'm hoping that he can do something because uh, behind him, we have Henderson, and then we have Kyron, who just fractured his foot like King Henry. Uh, that's basically what they have. They don't really have a whole lot. Yeah, it, they do seem like a team that can go and just almost plug anyone in to that role right now if they don't have a super talent that everyone is – and Henderson was fine last year, although he's 5.5 up here on your risk scale right now. The other yeah, running he, back, He's had some injuries. Yeah. He's had some injuries. Well, I mean, James Robinson also tore his Achilles. He has yep. the hi- the highest risk factor tied with Akers, J.K. Dobbins, and Raheem Mostert uh, as the seven yep. out of tens on your risk factor. With Robinson, yep. when would you expect him to actually be back on the field? So there is a chance that he actually comes back and is ready for week one. Uh, whether or not he's actually ready and, and looks like himself is to be determined. Uh, he was one of the few players that had a ton of touches. Uh, I want to say it was over uh, a thousand between college and the NFL and had le- missed less than 10 games. He was part of a very small group uh, and, and he might not technically miss any games, but now I think he's just going to be less effective. Um, the same thing exists because the Achilles just doesn't seem to heal as quickly as we would like it to uh, and allow that constant need for burst. Um, and, and it, it, as you know, with calves, um, they constantly need to be fired and that energy goes from the Achilles into the calf and vice versa. If that, if that Achilles can't handle that recurrent constant tension, you know, a lot of the guys, when I see them, especially some of the defensive players that have Achilles, their Achilles is almost like an elastic band, but what happens is it gets loose and it's supposed to be really taut. 
So when you when it's loose, they can't get that explosion because because there's like this sagging, there's lag. So a lot of the times guys will have to go back in and re injure uh, re repair it again to provide that tension. They'll, they'll they'll pull a little bit out of it and kind of re tighten it up again. So it, it, it's just the stupid injury in the nature of the way uh, that our we're built, and that's why I'm so high on ETN is because um, I don't think. James Robbins is really going to be able to do a whole lot. Uh, and, and I'm, you know, I don't know what he'll probably be out there, but I don't expect a whole lot out of him. Well, ETN's also coming off a season ending injury as well. So where would you project yeah. him out in terms of fully being fully rehabilitated, which a year later, it seems like he should be. Yeah. I mean, I, I will, I will say this. If, uh, if the Jaguars were competitive in December, there was a chance he probably could have came back. Okay. It may have been a little bit aggressive, a lot eagers, but but he would have been probably close to being good by then. So he had a a, a, a we call a Liz Frank fracture. So kind of in the middle of the foot, think of like your foot as a bridge. The heel is one part of the bridge. The toes are the other part of the bridge. In the middle of the foot, the arch is, is kind of the middle of the bridge. Well, think of removing part of the middle of that bridge and expecting to still function. That's the problem with Liz Frank is that those ligaments get so weak that when you put your foot down, the arch basically wants to collapse. And his was a fracture, which means there's a significant separation in between those bones due to the ligament tearing. And you have to put a screw right through that. That's what Hollywood Brown did before he came to the NFL. Cam uh, Newton had it. Uh, Santonio Holmes, uh, Le'Veon, Julio. A lot of guys have had it and there really hasn't changed a whole lot of their careers. Data-wise, there is up to a 21% drop, uh, but we haven't really even seen ETN do anything yet, so we don't really know what to expect out of him. Given what the talent he has and, and, and the guys behind him, I don't think it's crazy to think he may get a ton of targets and be top 15, top 10, maybe top 5 if everything goes perfect. That's interesting to know. For my keeper team, my dynasty teams, that's going to work out very well for me. We'll see if he ends up getting there. But he too is, I mean, he's trending upwards now. But there were yeah. points of this offseason where if you were drafting on like DraftKings best ball that you could have got him at a pretty fair price. And I think when season long drafts come around, that just might be out of sight, out of mind, especially if we do hear that James Robinson is like, oh, he's back at OTAs. Oh, he's, he's doing this. He looks all right. And maybe we just don't believe that. Yeah, I mean, you, everybody... I mean, actually, the beat writers are usually pretty good about about kind of not being super biased. So, like they kind of usually tell it how it is. Um, but I'm curious to see because and, and we know they're drafting different times. Like I'm in, in the Scott Fishbowl right now. I'm getting player values right now that in a month I'm not going to get. It's just not going to happen. So sometimes you could take advantage of those and being ahead of the curve. And that's one of the reasons why I released the draft guide so early and maybe not early, but July 15th, because you still have two to three weeks where you can, you can have a competitive advantage before people finally realize that uh, the guys actually look good. Cause right now it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Uh, but three, four weeks when they're on the field, they're like, Oh, he looks good. That ADP is going back up. Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Penny coming off the injury. Chris Carson coming off the injury. They're still on Seattle at this point. I mean, Penny's going to be there. It's yet to be seen with Chris Carson. But you've tweeted out the photo a few times now of, I don't know, is Chris Carson the Terminator? What the hell does he have in his neck? So we haven't got specific details. But but reading between the lines, he has where's my neck? Uh, he has a cervical fusion. Uh, it's uh, based on the description I heard it was a multi-level fusion. So going back, uh, the only other players that come off the top of my mind that had at least one fusion was Peyton Manning. 
Uh, and, and that was remember at the end of his career, he's also a quarterback and he's not expected to get hit the same level as a running back. Um, the issue with, uh, this isn't a fracture like DK Metcalf had, or, uh, you know, like, like Justin Ross had, these are, uh, this is a little bit different. This is a fusion where they actually um, put a metal piece and you can see that the tweet I'm talking about there, there you get, they put a basically a metal bridge in between each of these levels to allow the space to keep open so that the nerve doesn't get compressed. And that's basically what he's feeling is uh, basically sciatica, but of the upper extremity of the, of the, of the neck. And when that happens, you can't do anything. You have like a lightning bolt go down your arm or both arms 24 seven. And then think of his running style. He's like a battering ram, you know? So it's not going to take a whole lot to re-injure that. Um, I mean, you're talking about millimeters of space that he has available for that nerve to move. And if it gets pinched again, they're going to do the same process. Oral steroids, physical therapy, maybe do an epidural, which shuts him down for three, four weeks. You get hit again, you're done for the season. I don't know if they clear Chris Carson. I would, I, I really don't. And I'm betting they don't, but either way, he is at very high risk. And that's why A, I'm so high on Penny, and B, I kind of like Walker as bad as the offensive line is. Yeah, there's been some rumors like, oh, yeah, Rashad Penny's the guy. If he comes back, it's killed Kenneth Walker's ADP over the past week or so. I saw Levitan. Uh, he even tweeted out about it. That's just like, didn't we go through this last year with Jamar Chase? Like, whatever you think that it's going to be, until you have a visualization that this is not going to be the case, kind of stick with where you're going. But what is Rashad Penny's timetable here? Like, is he going to be 100% in week one? <laughs> so Penny, most people forget Penny was a freak in college and he was a first round pick. His first couple of years in the league did not go over recording. And I went, the way I do my injury histories is I literally try to find every article from high school, from college, from whatever. And then I, I, I go to what I still call Roto World and, and, and go week by week, injury by injury listing all the way until present day. And when you look, you can read the beat writer reports underneath them and they're saying he's struggling. Carson's taking over because what Carson was his fifth, sixth round pick. Um, and, and Penny was supposed to be the guy. Uh, but, you know, and then on, he was start, just starting to get going. And then he tears his left ACL in December of 2019. Now, most guys take a year. So December 2020. Well, he came back in. It didn't really look very good early last year. Didn't start off the best. He strained his left calf and basically missed the first six weeks of last year, which could happen again this year. Um and then he went on a tear. I mean, an unbelievable tear and probably won many people their leagues. Um, the talent is there. The ACL is good. He does have a history of soft tissue injuries. And that's my biggest concern for him. That calf could happily, could easily come back and decide to kind of, kind of rear its ugly head. Um, he's had hamstring injuries. Uh, he's had back injuries. He's had five hamstring injuries, actually, that we know of. So, these are the things that scare me more than that knee. Um, the burst was there. I don't know what to make of this offense because I don't even know who's going to be quarterback. Um, but I think uh, Penny is going to be the one until or if he gets injured and they will spell him for Walker, who eventually will take over. You've talked about different forms of treatment, whether it be PRP, stem cells, everything like that, which can help you recover faster. And it seems like 15, mm -hmm. 20 years ago at this point, people were covertly doing steroids and HGH in the offseason to make sure that this is what was going to help them regenerate faster. Is, Correct. 
is there a way? Cause, I mean, football is such a weird outlier in sports because of this. Because in our mind, you think steroids, you think anabolic steroids, you think powerlifting. Oh, they're getting huge. They're getting stronger. But as a recovery yep. tool, are you surprised that HGH isn't prescribed to NFL players for the damage that they do to their bodies? Um, I, I'm, I'm not really surprised because uh, this conference I was just at this past week is basically for all the team docs um, for all, for all the teams, basically. Um, and, and, and they are very, very regimented in by the book. They are data driven. They don't like to go on outliers. Everyone will have a little bit of a different philosophy of how they approach things, but they are pretty hard and fast. My mentor is the team doc for the bucks. I know how they think. I know what they do and they won't do. They are old school and they are by the book. This is what the data shows for PRP. I'm not using anything more because that's, they don't have data yet or whatever. That's kind of how it is for HGH and some of the, some of the, what we call supplemental uh, injections or meds or whatever. Um, they're not at the point where they're willing to go that route. The NFL is actually pretty lenient with this stuff. Unlike some of the other sports. Um, there's certain things that I would use safer as opposed to HGH. I would probably prefer a peptide or something like that, that is going to be safer and not really directly affect your natural ability to make said hormone. Um, but a lot of these guys are used to just being freaks and heal naturally in their twenties and 23, four. And then by five, six, seven in their late twenties, they realize I need help because I'm not healing like I used to. Um, and that's when they start supplementing or figuring out what they can do. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating. Um, uh, these guys get injured. Like you will never even imagine. I can't even, I can't even believe them until they show the MRI. I'm like, you went, wait a minute, you, you tore your hamstring in week three, grade three, which is what Eckler had a couple of years ago, uh, DB. Um, and he's, I'm like, how long did you miss? One week. I played the rest of the season. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. And I, I, I looked at his, uh, I looked at his hamstring on, on ultrasound. And yeah, I mean, there was so much scar tissue. I couldn't even fathom, but these guys play through the craziest stuff. And we just assume they're perfect and they're never perfect. They're always injured, but they're still elite. Um, but yeah, the HGH, I think eventually will come up or something along those lines that allows them to heal faster at a safe place. Steroids are not safe. They have way too many issues with them. Um, and we're talking about more of the anabolics than, than the, the traditional cortisone and, um, you know, meth methylprednisone, medrol and that type of stuff, which we use for back pain and, and, and stuff like that. The Ravens backfield is somewhat interesting considering you have JK Dobbins and Gus Bus, Gus Edwards, as two of yeah. the riskiest running backs coming into the season. Now, do we expect these guys to be ready for week one? Are they going to be staggered in their approach when they come back? Like, where do you see their timeline falling? Or is this just a pure what they suffered based on this timeline? They're probably going to get hurt again. So, the, this backfield is interesting because we know what they love to do, right? They love to run. But when your top two runners are both coming back from ACLs, the third string is big Mike Davis. And the fourth string is a rookie, uh, Tyler Beatty. You basically might have your RB1 as your quarterback, which I think many people are, are, are really expecting on. Um, the difference between these two in ACL injuries is actually pretty significant. J.K. Dobbins, elite back, uh, expected to be an elite back, um, has a contact, which is not common. It's usually non-contact injury but he not he, he injured two ligaments and this has been confirmed a couple different places dr elitrash uh repaired it which is where most guys go he's out in curlin job in la but here's the problem so when you just tear 
just tear the ACL, nine to 12 months is pretty reasonable. Usually it's closer to nine. But when you start adding additional ligaments, and he actually tore, uh, and not a common one, this is the LCL, which is basically on the outside of the knee. This is the, the bone on the outside. That means he basically had to have got hit on the inside, the ACL buckled, and this popped or tore. When that happens, we have a lot of ligaments in the back part of that of that structure, which notoriously take a long time to heal. Uh, this is the same type of injury that Carson Wentz had. Uh, not I can't think of another guy that had a bad isolated LCL ACL tear. And usually they take 12 to 15 months. They do take longer because of, of, the, of two multiple things healing and they can't the ACL can't rely on that part of the, the tissue because that one's also healing. Gus Edwards, on the other hand, reportedly only had a, a isolated ACL, and he should be pretty much cleared by now. Obviously, both of them have had almost a year, or you know, eight, eight, 10 months of healing. Um, I think it's plausible that Gus Edwards is ready for camp. I, it is, it's also very possible that J.K. Dobbins is put on pop, which is now four games. Okay. Last one at running back, Saquon. You were all over the Saquon don't draft Saquon where he's going last year. He's just not going to be ready in enough time. And then it looked like he was starting to get it back, and all of a sudden he had an injury again and no longer looked like Saquon. We're now two years removed from the big yep. injury. Obviously he had the injury last year, but he did eventually come back from that. What do you expect from him from a health perspective this year? So Saquon is, is one of those genetic freaks that if he never got injured, he would break probably every record. Like, I, I don't think there's many questions about that. But when you add in the offensive line, when you add in these repetitive recurrent injuries, you're like, this guy just can't catch a break. <laughs> um, you know, if you, if, and he looked, I mean, his peak season was his rookie season. He hasn't played every game, you know, every game each season since. And we go back in 2018, he had a, a mild hamstring injury. That was it the whole season. 19, his second season in the league, he had a right high ankle sprain, which notoriously lingers the whole season. That was in the second, maybe third game of the season. He missed three games and it probably lingered. That derailed some of his season. The following season, almost a year to the date from his high ankle, he tears his right ACL, MCL, and meniscus, misses 14 games. So there's two seasons that were both marred by injury. All right, maybe he can bounce back in his third season after uh, his monster season. He um, then obviously steps on a player's foot randomly as he's running across the field that thing gives out swells up like a balloon and we really never hear about the exact injury could have been a mild fracture very possible was it at the minimum a significant lateral ankle sprain definitely i mean that thing blew up like a you know like a balloon the problem is we're like well that was on his left ankle and all the other stuff has been on his right literally high ankle high ankle acl everything has had been on the right well, what happens when you injure something on your right? What are you using to function? Your left. So your left has over, been overcompensating for three or four years. So that tissue is overstressed and overworked because the right side has been injured and is constantly healing. So he doesn't really have a good ankle or a good foot to stand on because both of them are beat up. He's around 1,600 touches, if I remember correctly, since the start of college. So he's not exactly a spring chicken. Um, I love his potential. There's no question. I'm fascinated by what Dayball can do with him. I love him at his value. I think his his ACL will be fine. I do have him missing a couple games this year. I would prefer him in the third round as opposed to the second or the first. But I'm okay with Saquon this year. 
I know it sounds crazy, but but I, I really am. Let's go to receiver because I need to ask you what is going on with Michael Thomas because I can't mm-hmm. figure it out for the life of me. You have him as high, <laughs> one of the highest risk factors to be re-injured, but the dude hasn't played football in like almost two years now. Correct. Yep. So uh, th- this situation is, is fascinating to say the least. So Michael Thomas suffered a, a traditional high ankle sprain uh, pretty early in the 2020 season. That was uh, uh, 9-13, so either the first week or the second week, depending on the schedule. He got evaluated by Dr. Anderson, a very famous orthopedic surgeon that is the team doc for the Green Bay Packers. And they said, yeah, it's just a grade one, miss three, four weeks, and you'll be okay. So uh, no surgery, no nothing. He misses a month, uh, but then he strains his hamstring, grade two, which is four four to five, six weeks. Then he kind of somehow makes it back. uh, And he re-injures this left ankle, but it wasn't the same high ankle. Now it's the hardest ligament in the, in, in the ankle to injure the medial, the medial aspect, which we call the deltoid. The reason why we always roll our ankle outside is because this stupid ligament is so strong. We never worry about it until you do. So who were two other examples that had significant deltoid injuries? Dak, when he had his fracture dislocation, season ending, and, and Antonio Brown in the middle of last year when he was a prima donna and went bananas. He had a bad uh, uh, deltoid tear, uh, reportedly, um, and that's why he really never looked the same. Um, and he still hasn't had repaired as far as I know. Um, the, the problem is the communication factor in, 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 in January of 2021, where he went to a doc and they said, oh, it doesn't look that bad. Let's see if we can rehab it before we do surgery. Whatever happened, it didn't get better. He had been constantly using it. And then by the time he showed up at OTAs, the team docs for the Saints looked at him and they were like, this thing is awful. Like, you need to have this repaired. The problem is that's a four to six month recovery. That's not an easy surgery. So now we're talking middle of the season. You have one setback and there goes your 2021. So he's running routes. Uh, Nick Underhill just posted something Saturday, I think it was. Um where you can see him running routes, he looks much better than he did a month ago or whatever the last video was. But he's still not putting all of his energy and weight into that left ankle when he's cutting hard. So when you look at the video, you need to imagine where the energy force is going to be in the ankle when he's cutting. So if you are using your left ankle, you need to run a route to the left straight and then cut hard to the left uh, as your lead foot so that the energy, so the stress is on the medial part of the ankle. That's going to stress his weakest point. When he can do that 30, 40 times a game, I'm ready to put him back in and say he's good. But if he re-injures this, which would not be surprising, he's going to be ineffective. And he's only going to be able to run straight routes, which doesn't really, that's not his forte. Um, and I just, I love him at his value. I, I know enough about this stupid ankle injury to to be concerned but he is still a monster. I just don't think he's a top 15 wide receiver anymore because of said ankle. Michael Gallup and Chris Godwin both have differing timetables upon their return from season-ending injuries last year. What do you make of Chris Godwin right now? Because he's still being drafted behind where he would be drafted fully healthy, but not that far behind, really. Yeah. So Godwin is kind of an interesting... I mean, Godwin's a beast. I, I think we finally appreciated that. 
the problem is when he tore his ACL, um, he, he, he was able to get his reconstructed pretty quickly. I'm looking for the date. Um, but, but, and, and, and that's good. Here it is. So he tore it on uh, December 19th, report of the ACL and MCL, but no meniscal damage. Dr. James Andrews repaired it on January 3rd. Um, so we're looking at nine months, potentially week one, assuming no setbacks. That's why his ADP is um, kind of where it is. I don't really expect a whole lot of drop in, 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 in targets or in anything performance really anything if he's on the field it may take a couple weeks for him to get acclimated but overall i still think he's there and he may still be a bargain right now gallup is a different monster the issue with gallup is that he had a, 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 a he also had an acl tear but his wasn't isolated like uh like some of the other guys my suspicion is godwin's only had a, a milder or grade one mcl sprain which kind of heals on its own gallup probably had a grade two so when you have a grade two, those take three to four weeks to heal or to become more stable. And, and that's the difference. He had to wait a month to have his surgery. And, 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 be, and that month is going to delay him probably another month or two um, in the season. It's a timing thing for him. And there's a very realistic possibility he doesn't show up until week eight, seven, eight, nine, depending on when their bye is. So that's the difference between the two. And I think that's why Tolbert is getting so much love, why Schultz is getting love, and why CD is, is, is skyrocketing so high because of Gallup's specific knee injury and the timing for his surgery. So two other receivers that I did want to hit on, uh, maybe not the highest risk factor, but they're, they're pressing up against some of the bigger numbers here. We have... Kadarius Tony and Robert Woods. Uh, obviously, Woods in a prime position in Tennessee now to take over as mm -hmm. their number one with A.J. Brown gone. What do you make of him coming into the year? Will it be enough time that he just hits the ground running and he's back? Because it's not like Robert Woods was the most explosive guy to begin with. Yeah. That as long as he's just like 90% of what he was, he should still be able to theoretically do what he does well. Correct. I love, I call him Bobby Trees. I love Woods. Um, he's kind of a sneaky pick later. A lot of people are sleeping on him. Um, he still should get 80, 100, 115, 20 targets. Um, I'm not really worried about his knee. He he injured it early enough. He's a pro. He's been in the league for eternity. I think my earliest injuries are from back in 2011 or 12 without looking. Um, when he went to Buffalo, then he went to L.A. and now uh, to Tennessee. Remember, all those vacated A.J. Brown targets have to go somewhere. Traylon Burks is going to have a role, but we don't know you know, what he is, if he's going to be able to translate to the field yet. And then you have Hooper. That's about it. They don't really have many other elite receiving options. So I think uh, Woods is going to get a, a decent amount of volume in a run first offense, but they can't run it every down. Or I don't think they will. Um, so, you know, I, I don't mind him. Kadarius Tony, the talent is there. This kid just can't catch a break. Um, I would love to see what he can do if, if, if uh, Danny Dimes can get his stuff together and he can stay healthy. Uh, this offense has some sneaky potential. Uh, you know, I'm not ready to give away on Galladay yet. Uh, I do like Wandale, uh, who has uh, some crazy talent, and he's a little guy. Um, and, but Tony, when you break down the numbers, I think he was above 2.0 yards per YRR, whatever that one is, which is an elite stat. Um, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. So he's, he's high risk, but the upside is bananas. I mean, I think I, I, there's a reason why they went so high. He went so high in the draft. DJ Chark, 
is another one with mm. a very high risk factor. Obviously, now with the Lions, Lions have a whole bunch of banged up receivers: Jamison Williams, <laughs> DJ Chark. How do you map yep. these guys out? Like, should we be concerned about Williams once he eventually returns? So, uh, Dr. Kane, Dr. Lyle Kane is the team doctor at Alabama. He did both Williams and uh, Mechie's. Um, he wrote. He he was quoted in an article in the Athletic. Uh, a couple months ago saying they're actually using GPS guidance from in-season, preseason practice, and now post-surgery to evaluate how far along they are. So this isn't, oh, he looks good. This is what degree of separation does he have compared to his previous injury, like the pre-injury, which is insane. And it's, it's beautiful. So they actually have data to work with with him. I think because he's such a prized possession, he will probably start on PUP. And, and he, his season may kind of pop off at the end of the year, like, you know, St. Brown last year. Um, I don't think they're very aggressive with him. He really needs at least nine months to, to clear, even if, you know, they're just being semantics and they're probably going to err on the side of caution. I really don't think this team is, you know, playoff worthy. So they need to be smart with him. Um, Chark, on the other hand, uh, I think Chark is good to go, and I think he's probably going to be the, the should be the wide receiver one. Um, I'm not really worried about his ankle fracture. He probably had what we call a Weber C, which is uh, where the the ankle uh, the the fibula is fractured so bad you have to repair it. And um, he he basically missed the entire rest of the season as a result of it. it wasn't just a, a small little ankle fracture or a high ankle with a small fracture. It was probably a pretty bad one, uh, kind of like Dax. Um, and as a result. I think he'll be good to go. Ankles usually do really well after fracture. Five years down the road, he's not going to be very happy with the arthritis. But right now, I think he's kind of sneaky. And Goff has shown he can make players relatively effective. Um, you have Swift, you have Hawkinson, you have St. Brown, you have Chark. I mean, they still they have kind of a sneaky offense. I completely agree. And the addition of Chark should only... It's funny because people are like, I'll just take away from Amon Ross St. Francis. It should probably help them that they can't focus the entire defense on limiting Swift out of the backfield and focusing on Hawkinson and Brown. Just more options is generally better for the good players. It doesn't usually work the other way around, especially when you have a crap defense and all you have to do is throw anyway. Plenty of targets for everyone in the Lions offense. A.J. Brown, now on Philly, you have listed at 5.5. Why so high? AJ just seems to get this injury bug that he can't shed. So if you remember, and and I'm sure he's kicking himself every day for posting this, but that's the problem with anesthesia. Um, After the end of the 2020 season, if we remember that he posted Instagram live or whatever it was after just undergoing bilateral knee uh, surgery for probably meniscus trimming is my guess. Uh, But the guy, he can't seem to stay injury free. He will play through injury. I, I just got a bad feeling about him when I look at his injuries, uh, the time he takes to get back to hundred um, percent and, and the, just the compensation patterns with them. Talent is there. There's really not much of a question. Um, and he, now he's got a lot more competition. He has to worry about Devonta Smith, who's a beast in his own right. Goddard's pretty solid. Um, and, and obviously they have some other wide receivers. We don't really know, know what to make of. I like AJ Brown. I just don't like him at his ADP. It's starting to fall, but I don't know if I trust Hertz yet. And that's part of the problem where I'm like, I, I don't know if I can trust Hertz enough to bite the bullet on AJ Brown and have him be my wide receiver one, you know, maybe as a two or a three, 
I think that's that's value. Um, I, I have concerns about uh, about Brown's injury history, even though he has a tendency to play through him. He's he seems to be always injured in some capacity. In terms of quarterbacks, most of the highest risk quarterbacks that you have listed are running quarterbacks, and that completely makes sense. You put yourself at more damage for bigger hits, you're more likely to get injured. That's only very logical. I was curious, why is Tua the highest risk of any quarterback? So Tua Tua has a couple things going against him. Um, That hip fracture dislocation continues to haunt me mentally. His if that if he wasn't an elite quarterback and they moved mountains to get him the best care possible, they picked him up in a medevac uh, and flew him out. And then they flew him to the top orthopedic trauma surgeon in Houston uh, in the whole world. But it was in Houston and had it repaired there. I was astonished he was still actually semi viable in his rookie season. Um, We may see him finally um, kind of break out this year. But I have serious concerns about his ability to stay healthy. He gets the nickiest knack injuries. And remember, as far as I know, he's the only left-handed quarterback. So it's the polar opposite of everything else. Um, and, and, and as a result of that, the offensive line is completely different. The strengths of the line are different. He has a lot more weapons now. But, I mean, he's played through through a bunch of different injuries. He had a left high ankle in 2018 at Alabama that he had surgically repaired. Then the following year, the same exact injury on the right side. So he has high ankle repairs on both sides. Uh, Then he he sprained his thumb in late 2020, a partial tear of his throwing thumb, which he probably had repaired in the offseason, but but we don't know. Then indirectly as a result of his poor mobility from his hip, he uh, obviously had, um, uh, he has poor mobility, which then leads to guys being able to sack him faster and he fractured three ribs and uh and possibly puncturing his lung causing him to miss three games and then he ended up fracturing his finger on halloween but he, you know so he keeps getting these injuries that are directly affecting either his throwing arm or his mobility and we've seen he just he struggles with the deep ball he really it's like i don't they posted a video and i'm like why would they post this video this is awful like tyreek's sitting there going you know, like, like, like really? Um, but I, as a result of his poor mobility, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm highest risk for him. And some of his decision-making is interesting too. How do you make of the rehabilitation of Jameis Winston? And should he be back to being Jameis Winston again? I mean, he's, he's not immobile. He actually was like a sneaky bet for over rushing yards for ages because he, they essentially had him priced as a pocket quarterback and every twice a game, he would just kind of take off if there was daylight. What do we expect from him this year? So I, I kind of like Jameis. If we, we always forget how, how good Jameis was. His biggest issue was not throwing. It was his stupid decision-making and throwing into bad areas. And as a result, he had, a ton of interceptions, but um, that cannon is still there. Olave is, has, has beautiful potential. They still have Landry, whatever is coming of Michael Thomas. We don't know what's going on with Kamara, but I'm assuming he's going to play some capacity this year. Ingram is the veteran that will be there. Uh, And they still have some sneaky guys. I don't mind his ACL really at all. We've seen several quarterbacks all have ACLs and all of them came back and really nothing changed. Tannehill, Brady, uh, a lot of guys all had uh, ACLs and it really didn't really affect them at all. Uh, it's more of a confidence thing than anything. Um, 
I'm curious to see how this offense runs as a result of a different head coach, but um, at his current ADP, I mean, he's kind of sneaky for 4,500 yards, 4,000 yards, maybe 25 to 35 touchdowns. I mean, you could do worse at that level. Kyler Murray, is it possible for him to get through a season with being weeks one to four Kyler Murray? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think I, so I think either. This is one of the guys. I think this is one of those guys that uh, he's shorter in stature and he just doesn't have the build as someone like uh, someone like uh, Josh Allen or, or Lamar Jackson or somebody that has that elite talent to both throw and rush. But they also have the body to handle those hits. Um, Kyler doesn't really have that, but he has more of a baseball body than a football body. Um, and as a result, like he had that high ankle last year, he had a throwing shoulder injury the year before he had a hamstring injury a couple of years ago. So like, he's going to try to play through it until he's basically immobile or can't throw. Um, so he's an increased risk as a result of his history. Uh, but he's elite when he's on the field. We know that. I mean, the kid's a stud. Logan Thomas is your highest risk tight end by far. Do we even see him for the first half of the season? What an interesting case, huh? It's odd. If you follow his history, it's crazy. Like, do most people realize he was a quarterback for like five, six years? I and think... then he was like, oh, let's let's become a tight end. <laughs> I was like, what? He's been in the league for like six years, seven years now. Um, but uh, so and this one actually irritated me because when we saw the injury, I was like, oh, that's bad. Like that's an ACL. And then they came out with information saying the MRI was negative. I'm like, there's no way that MRI is negative. And then like two, three days later, they're like, oh yeah, he tore his ACL. I'm like, what, what gives? Like you can't go back on that and say, oh, I, we screwed up. That's a big injury to screw up. Not only did he tear his ACL, and this is confirmed, he tore the ACL, the MCL, the LCL, and both meniscus. That's like 90% of the knee. If he, if he doesn't take 15 months, I'll be astonished. Uh, I really will be. That is, this is a bad knee injury, a really bad knee injury. Um, and, and as a result, I just don't know if we see him for the first month, six weeks, eight weeks of the season. All right. I think we've gone through all the highest risk factor players we can get through at this point. Is there anyone we missed that you do want to talk about? Like James Conner, you have as a 5.5. It looks like he can take the lead in Arizona right now. He's been yeah. relatively healthy over the past few years since he was completely unhealthy for a while. Like there's a lot of guys that it was funny. Like for years, people said that Matthew Stafford was this huge injury risk. I think he got hurt two of his first three years in the league. And then yeah, he's he did. He got... And now he's like an Iron Man. So sometimes. Yeah. It, you just get unlucky and all of a sudden you're just healthy and you get fortunate and lucky for the rest of your career. So some of these guys that you, you know, would peg as injury risk, like even someone like Aaron Jones that you have rated pretty highly or someone yep. like Elijah Moore, uh, who you have a, as a high risk factor. Is there anyone just in particular you want to single out? Yeah, I'm going to give you his injury history and I want you to see if you can guess him. Ooh. 2015 grade two hamstring strain missed seven games. This is college. 2016, hamstring strain, missed three games. 2017, fractured his leg, missed the rest of the season. 2019, uh, minor groin strain, no biggie. 2020, breaks his left foot, Jones fracture, has it repaired. 
has a setback, misses the first three games of the season. Hamstring strain in October, misses three weeks. Three weeks, uh, four weeks later, he re-injures the same hamstring and misses an additional three weeks. 2021 rolls around. He's a wide receiver three with wide receiver two upside, but a significant injury history, uh, as we just said. Suffers a glute strain in a preseason, didn't miss any time. Managed to play through a calf strain, a bone, uh, a bruise in his shin, a groin strain, and a knee sprain, only missing a single game. Who am I? I was thinking it was Beckham, but it's not Beckham. Mm -mm. Mike Williams? The guy everyone loves, and he's a little bit of a prima donna and wanted to get traded. Oh, it's Debo Samuel. Now you understand why he was so high risk last year. I loved him last that year. That injury in history is insane. I know, but he's, like, it, and now it's crazy. He, and now he's a running back half the time. <laughs> and he doesn't want to be one. I that's, wouldn't that's either. Crazy part. I wouldn't want to be one either. <laughs> yeah, but if you look, he's been a running back since high school. This He's done this his whole career. But now he's like, oh, I want to be a quarterback. I want to be a wide receiver because I get want to be, get paid like one. But half of my value is as a, as, as a uh, you know, or a lot of his value is, is a running back. Um, so then the team's like, well, can you prove to me that you're just as effective? At least this is what I would say. Just as effective as a wide receiver and stay healthy. I mean, if you look at how many games he's missed due to soft tissue injuries, can you blame him for not wanting to pay him 25 a year? Okay. You did it once. Great. Do it again. Then you'll get your check. That's, that's what I would have told him. Are you scared of him at the top of drafts? Definitely. Definitely. Because I love the upside. There's no question. His upside is insane. Lance, we have some question marks, right? We don't really know what to make of him. He could be a top five quarterback. He could be bananas, but he also could struggle and look like Trevor Lawrence last year. Um, but what if what if Debo misses a month with a hamstring? He's done it like four times already. You know, what if, what if you know this minor lingering injury, and it just it, it continues to derail him? That's you know, the, the, the top end wide receivers don't really change a whole lot. If you look, who was top five in 2020 versus 2021? Cooper Cup, I think, was the only one that really changed. Tyreek was still there. Devontae was still there. Jefferson was was up there. Obviously, Chase went ham. He's a rookie. But, like, they're usually pretty consistent. A guy of this caliber, he may be top 10 one year and, you know, number 30 or 40 the year, the next year like, the year, like the previous year. Um, so he scares me. That's one other guy that he's polarizing, uh, but he's another boomer bust pick for me. He could easily be a top five guy again, or he could be, you know, wide receiver 46 because he only played half the games. Yeah. And the issue becomes right now is his ADP is so elevated that you're essentially buying all the upside. That he needs to do that now to pay off his price. Yeah. So unless you can get a discount, I'm with you. I, I like him. I think I have him ranked as wide receiver number 13 or something like that, which essentially yeah. assures I won't have any yeah. of them because that's just too low. Yeah. I mean, right now he's going, uh, CD lamb's going just above him. Um, Tyreek is just below him. And Mike Evans is just below them. I'd probably take all of them over him. I have some issues and concerns with Tyreek, but, um, but, uh, you know, um, and if, whenever I compare them, I'm like, I'm going to go with the safer option. I know his upside is insane, but that's like trying to ask Saquon to repeat his rookie season. I'm like, I don't know if we're going to see it again. I I don't know. It's possible. 
But if I'm a betting man, probably not going to bet those. Dr. Jesse Morse, the Fantasy Doctors. You can check out thefantasydoctors.com and the Fantasy Doctors YouTube page where they're on top of almost every single injury and almost every single sport at this point with the instant reaction of what you need to know. Tell everyone once again where they can find the draft guide besides just clicking on the description and going right to it and what you have prepared for this upcoming season. Yeah, so um, the the we're doing a lot this upcoming season. Um, trying to cover pretty much every major injury. We're, we're going to probably do 20 to 30 videos a week, um, depending on, on the craziness. We will have a cool segment on Wednesdays, I think it's going to be, with Dr. Roto, where we're going to do a, a Q&A and, and talk about some betting, some analysis, some DFS, and some injuries to so kind of mix them all together. Um, and then we will have our, our, our Sunday morning uh, preview, as we usually like to do uh, for kickoff. Um, the Discord is going to be available, but right now, uh, kind of ramping up this season on the draft guide that I just released on Friday. Uh, that's available at tfdinjurydraftguide.com. Eventually, it will be available on Amazon as well. Um, and, and we're just trying to cover injuries in a professional and accurate manner and as timely as possible. Um, and, and really, I'm excited because we're, we're having uh, the first ever um, medical examination kind of injury review expo, we'll call it discussion, at the Fantasy Football Expo next month in Canton. Uh, there's going to be some some bigger name guys there, uh, doctors there that are going to be discussing a lot of injuries. Um, there's a couple that haven't confirmed yet, but it's going to be cool because we'll be able to have that kind of discussion against, you know, about these players in between uh, some of the medical professionals. Um, so we have a lot of things in store. Uh, I'm really excited that the season is right around the corner. That will do it on the Pat Mayo Experience. You can follow me at the PME. You want the full free Pat Mayo Experience Fantasy Football 2022 Draft Guide? Hit the description. All the shows are down there. All of the full rankings list, top 150, position by position, coming out very shortly once we finish up on our ranking discussion shows with Jake Seeley and Mike Leone for the core positions. You can go catch up on all of the shows already. We're, we're towards the back end of the rankings, and we're going to hammer down on the top 150 heading into the year, plus all the updates that are going to come along with it. So please go check out those shows and smash the like while you're here and sub to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast to make sure that you never miss a show. Thank you all for watching. I'm Pat Mayo. See you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.